Good morning, um, Pastor Jesse. Before you go sit down, um, something you need to know that in Africa, and particularly what we experience in Kenya, is uh, life in the village is very important. And every village is a community. And um, every village has an elder. And in each of those villages, that elder has a very important job as he leads his community, as he helps make important decisions and so forth. And when, when you go into the village, you, particularly the Maasai tribe, you know which is that elder because he carries a rungu, this elder stick. So, Jesse, we would like to present to you this rungu as the lead of this community, this village, this church. Um, it's just an honorary elder stick for you. Dude. <laughs> I like it. So if you see me walking around like this, you know. All right. Thank you. I, and just for clarification for you, it is not an instrument of discipline. So if that happens, let me know. I'll, I'll take it back. <laughs> well, good morning. Um, indeed, it is good to be home, um, to be amongst our family. Uh, we have missed you guys uh, dearly. Um, it was good to come back. Uh, you've seen us around since December, and it was good to be back with family, but then we also realized there's a lot of family members here we don't know. And so there may be those of you who you've seen us around, but you really don't know us that well. Um, we are Greg and Camby Wilson, and our firstborn, Micah, he is eight, and our daughter, Tiffany, who is six. Um, and I, I grew up in the Alliance. Um, so Alliance DNA uh, runs in my blood um, and was a part of another Alliance church that was uh, just a few miles away. and. Then uh, some years back, came over to First Alliance here. Um, and we've had the joy uh, to be sent out by you uh, to be able to serve the Lord in Kenya, in East Africa. Um, and I want to, uh, to start this morning uh, by telling you about a good friend of mine. His name is Wanyama. Um, he is a Kenyan missionary, and he's one of the men that I have the privilege to disciple. And sometimes I think he, he's even gone beyond me, but Wanyama is a Kenyan missionary to the South Sudanese. So he has received that call from the Lord to go out from his people to another people to proclaim the news of Jesus Christ. And Wanyama was going to South Sudan. He started going several years ago. And he just wasn't having the success that he was longing to see. And he was struggling with this. And then one of our partnering pastors um, told Wanyama, you need to go and be a part of what Sports Friends is doing. That's our ministry. And so Wanyama came to one of our trainings. And at that training, uh, Wanyama learned how to use sports to engage young people and to teach them about Jesus using that tool of a soccer ball. 
And as you can imagine, when Yama went back to South Sudan and went to one of those villages that he was reaching out to with that soccer ball. And he took that ball and he put it on the ground and, and out of everywhere, children just started coming because that's what happens in Africa. The ball is like a magnet. And the children started to come, and so Wanyama was able to start to build relationships with these young people, children, teens. And through that, and through those relationships, Wanyama was able to start telling them about Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ was and how Jesus wanted to change their lives. And young people started coming to Christ, giving their lives to Christ. And then that opened the door for Wanyama to start to minister to those parents of those kids because they're like, something's happened to our children. They're acting different. Things are different about them. So they go to Wanyama and ask, what, what is it you're teaching our children? So that was an open door. And then from having that opportunity with those parents, then Wanyama was able to plant a church. But the truth of this is that we did not give Wanyama one soccer ball. We gave Wanyama five soccer balls. And so when Wanyama had finished in that first village, he went to the next village and he did the same thing. He started playing soccer with the kids. Young people started coming to Jesus. Their parents asked questions. They started coming to Jesus. He planted a church. He went to the next village. I think you know where this is going. Played soccer with the kids. They came to Christ, engaged the parents. They started coming to Christ. He was able to plant a church. And over and over and over again, he was able to do this. He planted five churches in South Sudan using the tool of sports. I call Wanyama our Apostle Paul because I feel like that is what he has been able to do in South Sudan. So who are we? Um, who do we serve with? Uh, we serve with an organization called SIM that formerly stood for Sudan Interior Mission, but we are now in over 70 countries and it just doesn't make sense to be called that anymore. Um, so we just call ourselves SIM. And as a part of SIM, we are convinced that no one should live and die without hearing God's good news. We believe that he's called us to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in communities where he is least known. We are privileged to work with an awesome organization that does that. And the ministry within SIM that we um, are working with is called Sports Friends. And our mission within Sports Friends is to see a global movement of local church-centered sports ministries transforming lives and strengthening communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we have just had a joy working throughout Kenya in different parts of the country, different types of communities. You know, there are over 42 major tribes in Kenya, each with their own language. Um, some of them have the church and the church is growing and we get to be a part of giving them a tool that allows them to enhance what they're doing. Some communities have not yet heard of Christ. And so we are able to work with church planters who are able to go into a community that might be resistant to the gospel, but to be able to take something that they can engage the people with and not be sent away. And we're seeing churches planted through that. Um, I'd like to 
spend a little bit of time in the Word this morning. So if you'll turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Our first term in Kenya was really, I would say, defined by these verses um, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul is he's continuing to give Timothy some instructions. He's talking to him about uh, how to uh, engage Christians in the church. And these words here, chapter 4, verse 6 and through 10, we feel are very important. And it says, I'm reading from the ESV, it says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way. That was defining for us. You know, I, I like to be active, and you would probably think, well, I hope so. You're doing sports ministry. Um, amazingly, I don't play that much in Kenya, so I even have to find times to, to go and keep being active. And if I'm not active on a regular basis, I, I really start to feel it. And, you know, I know some of you guys, you're active, you like sports, or you run on a regular basis, and, or you, maybe at least you used to. And you probably remember if you went for a long period of time, you'd start to feel a sluggishness. In yourself and and that's certainly the case for me um, that if I'm not doing something active on a regular basis I start to feel sluggish well how much more is that true of our relationship with God if we don't continually engage the Lord through his word through prayer through our community we'll start to feel sluggish in our walk with God. And I think that Timothy must have been at least a little bit athletic. I mean, here's Paul. He, he sees this analogy as a good way to make a point to Timothy. And he's basically saying, hey, Timothy, you see the exercise that you're doing? You see how that helps you? You see how that's good for you? You're in shape. You're able to perform well. Now, what about the training that I have given you in the Word and in walking with our Savior? That's going to help you in everything, in every way. You know, there's a lot of uh, cultural differences between the U.S. and in Kenya, and I'm, I'm sure you can imagine. Um, we get to see a lot of different communities and cultures, even here in Central Florida. Um, but there, one of those small cultural differences in Kenya has to do with the way they talk about uh, kids going to practice. And, and when we think about our kids or our grandkids, you know, they go to soccer practice or to basketball practice or to volleyball practice. But when I use that term in Kenya, they look at me kind of funny, like, what are you talking about? You see, they say, we're going to go for training. We're going to go for soccer training or basketball training. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Because, you know, the reality is 
is that we train, these kids train in a sport so that they can then go and play a game and put everything they've learned in training into practice. And that struck me pretty heavily during one of our ministry expansions. Um, some of our coaches who work in one of the slums and they have, they've got about 100 kids coming for soccer every day. And they wanted to expand and they said, we think volleyball would be really great. There seems to be a growing interest in the country. The women's national team has been winning tournaments internationally and we think the kids would enjoy that, but we don't know anything about the sport. Could you guys help us? And Camby and I, uh, having a love for volleyball and at one time being engaged in the volleyball ministry here at First Alliance, said, yes, we would love to do that. And so the day came and, and the kids came that we're going to be a part of the team. And we said, guys, we're going to play volleyball. And they said, yes, let's play volleyball. And so then, just out of curiosity, we put them on the court and let them start playing. And about the only thing they knew was that the ball needed to go over the net. They didn't know how many times they got to hit the ball. They didn't know how to hit the ball. They didn't know where to stand on the court. They really didn't know anything. But that was okay because we brought them there so that we could train them and they could learn the sport. And they did, and they did great. And we were really impressed with their progress. And so I started talking to our soccer coaches who lived there. And I said, guys, we need to find another team for these guys to play. So they went looking. And I'd call them every few days. I'm like, have you found a team yet? And they're like, no. And a couple days later, have you found a team? No. I'm like, Come, guys, we've got to find a team for them to play. Because I had a fear they had trained in volleyball, but if they didn't get to play the sport in a game, what would happen to their desire to continue to train? And unfortunately, they never found another team. We couldn't find another team that was within the area that these young people could travel to be able to play. And so we started to see some decline. Some of the kids stopped coming because they're like, well, what's the point? Why would we do that? And, you know, as I think about that, you know, what was the point in training? What was the point in learning the sport if they weren't going to use it? Isn't the same of godliness, of our walk with the Lord? What's the point in training and discipleship if we're not going to be a disciple? What's the point in learning how to pray if we're not going to spend the time to pray? What's the point in being taught how to fast if we're not going to fast? What's the point in learning how to read and study the Word of God if we're not going to take the time to read and study the Word of God? What's the point in learning how to evangelize if we're not going to go out and do evangelism? We come to church, we go to Bible study or to home group, and we learn, we train in godliness. But what's the point if we're not going to live it out? We've been training. It's time to play the game. Why sports? Why do we use sports? I like what Billy Graham said, so we're sharing that with you. He said, a coach will reach more people in one year than the average person will in an entire lifetime. Think about a team that's under a coach. 
It's a lot of young people. And if you played on an organized sports team at any point in your life, you know most of you probably had a lot of respect for your coach. And I think about, back to my coaches, and I'm like, man, I respected them. I thought a lot of that coach. And, you know, honestly, most of those coaches only cared about one thing, the sport. And for me, it was soccer. That's all they cared about. Let's make Greg a better soccer player. Let's see him perform well. But what if that coach cared about what was in the heart, too? And so that's what we train our coaches to do. We teach them how to care for the child as well. And so this is the most exciting thing I'm going to show you today, a graph. All right, so graphs aren't exciting, so just think of sour apple lollipops or big green balloons. Um, so the way we work in our ministry is that we first establish relationships with local churches. And we cast vision amongst the pastors, and then those pastors go and they send us their people to be trained to be a coach and a discipler of young people. And so we do that initial training with them. We teach them how to do that, and we send them back out into the community where they're from with their church, and they start a team, and they start working with those young people. And then over the next one to two years, we walk with those coaches. We disciple them, and we teach them. We train them in the sport that they're coaching, obviously, but also how do you use that sport to get kids into the Word of God? What's happening on the field that's also true about life and that the Word of God speaks to? And as we're doing that over that one to two years, we're looking very closely at each cohort of coaches, and we're always looking for two or three that we can bring close to us to start to train them to do what we do. See, the leadership development is a key part of our ministry because if we're not developing more leaders, then when we go, things can die off. But by training up new leaders, when we start a new cohort, we take those two or three and we say, you guys are going to lead. We're going to be there to help you in any way that you need. And so in that way, we're able to multiply our ministry and what we're doing. And through this, Sports Friends in Kenya has well over a thousand coaches that are active in the country. You can imagine how many kids that is with at least 20 kids per team. I have time to share with you about one of these coaches this morning. Um, Dickens is a young man who grew up in the Mathari slum of Kenya. And I can't quite describe to you what life in the slum is like but it's not an enjoyable life. Most people live in a rusty metal shack, sometimes a mud hut kind of shack thing. If they're blessed and they actually have a job, they might be in a block building that's cold and damp. Sewage runs in the streets. There's animals in it. Sometimes there's children in it. There's lots of garbage everywhere. It's just piled. You often find it burning. So between the, the sewage and the garbage, it doesn't smell very nice. And despite this, they know about Western culture because we've exported all of that. So there's a lot of materialism and they have desires to have all the things that they see that are available. And Nairobi, the capital city of Kenya, is very westernized. 
but yet they have next to nothing. If people in the slums have a job, they probably make two or three dollars a day. And Dickens was not exactly engaged very well by his family because they were trying to just get by. And so he was left alone to just hang out with his friends. And, you know, they, they had desires, they had things they wanted, so they very quickly t started turning to small petty crimes, trying to steal things here and there. And that turned into bigger and bigger and bigger things. And then one day, by God's grace, Dickens was arrested. And I say by God's grace because typically what the police do when they're chasing a thief is they shoot them and then start asking questions. But Dickens was arrested, he went to jail. While in jail, one of our church partners, um, the church, was going to that prison and ministering to the people there. And I remember as Dixon told me his testimony, the way he described himself was he'd just say, I was a bad guy. He didn't want to tell me the things that he used to do. He'd just call himself a, a bad guy. And Dickens really couldn't understand why are these Christian people coming and caring about all of us bad guys? And so they had his attention, and through that ministry, Dickens came to Christ. And the pastor of the church, hearing that Dickens had made a commitment to see change in his community when he got out of jail, sent Dickens to us. And just like Wanyama, he went through our training. And so two days after Wanyama finished the training, I'm home, and I get a text message. And it's from Dickens, and he says, Greg, I want you to know I have started my first soccer team. I'm like, excellent. Keep up the good work. Two days after that only, he writes me again, I have my first convert. A week later, he calls me, Greg, five of my former friends who were thieves along with me have come to Christ and have committed to changing their lives. Today, Dickens and others in his church are running three soccer teams in the Mathari slum, changing the lives of these young people. See, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in every way. We're going to change gears just a little bit. We're going to watch a, a short video, and then Candy's going to come up. Broken, a curse, unlovable, unwanted, a product of sin, a disgrace, ugly. Imagine these are the words you hear from almost everyone around you every single day. Imagine hearing your parents argue and having your grandma come tell your mom right in front of you that she needs to kill you because you are the reason your parents are always fighting. Everyone in your village treats you like an animal. Your siblings and the village kids throw stones and the grown-ups laugh at and mock you. Your mom leaves very early every morning to go to work to provide for you. She locks you in the house and you wail in terror because you hate being left alone. Nothing good ever, ever happens from being left alone. You wail until you fall asleep from sheer exhaustion. Anytime someone comes to your house, you're hidden in a back room, forgotten sometimes for hours. All of this on top of your frustrations that you cannot speak, move, or behave like anyone else. You already have to depend on someone else to do everything for you except for to lay down. Many times you're left in your own waste because you do not know how to communicate to anyone that you have to use the bathroom. One day a strange man comes to your house, expecting to be put 
In the back room, you are actually brought to this man. He kneels down, shakes your hand, and calls you by name. He is different. He makes you feel something that you have never felt before, important, special, a person. Several weeks later, you're being strapped to your mom's back, placed on a motorcycle, and you watch your home fade away. Fear builds in you as this is the first time in your life you have ever left home. After the first bumpy trip, you're placed on what's called a bus. There are many noises, and you look around and you see others just like you. You feel a strange excitement as you watch the bus pull away. After a good drive, the bus pulls into a place that you could have only imagined in your dreams. You hear what sounds like shouting and clapping, and you grab onto your mom's arm. Fear rushes in you until you see that man that came to your house. He gets on the bus and your heart settles. You are then able to focus on the shouting and you look out the window and there are a lot of people that have just surrounded the bus. Some are brown just like you and others are very, very white. And they are all smiling and waving at you. The shouting is actually singing. They are singing that you are welcome. Your life is about to change. The next three days are filled with playing in ball pits, throwing or kicking balls around, or just lying on the ground watching everything going on around you. The air is filled with a noise that you have not heard much before. It is laughter, and it's coming from you. People are saying your name, helping you, holding your hands, holding you, wiping your face when you need it, and you find that your fear is melting away. You're in the arms of strangers, but they are not hurting you. They are gentle, caring, and loving. You never want to leave this place. I have the privilege of becoming involved in the trauma healing ministry part of our team. I very quickly learned that trauma comes in many different sizes, as big as terrorist attacks to as little as paper cuts. And if you don't believe me, watch how you hold a piece of paper the next time you get a really good cut. We have done three special needs camps so far, and while it is a joy watching these children love life and enjoy life, my part comes in with the parents. Many of these parents have been abandoned by their spouses. Their spouses will tell them, that bad seed didn't come from me, and they'll leave them, many times alone, not just with a special needs child, but with many other children. But their fight isn't just with their families, it's within their culture as well. They're told over and over that God is angry with them, that he's abandoned them, that they're being punished for their father's sins or for their own sins, or that they've been bewitched and that their child is a demon and they need to kill it. Oftentimes, these families are ostracized by their communities, so they move to a place where they can hide their special needs child. They're filled with shame, fear, exhaustion, and guilt. So when our sports friends coach Joseph finds these families, they're usually in a very desperate state. So they're eager for a respite, hoping for a miracle, or perhaps even just some free stuff. So they come to camp. And while their hopes are for the, their child to be miraculously healed, God has another gift in mind. And it goes above and beyond their wildest expectation this gift meets them face to face and breaks down the walls of the lies of the world and rushes in the truth of a father who loves them. And it's the gift of healing. 
we walk through scripture and we compare what God's word says to what their culture says. And to see these precious parents breathe again. To see their eyes open when they hear the truth. We see the tears and the testimonies and we're reminded why we are there. These are some of the, the forgotten, the least reached, and the rejected. By the time these three days are over, the families have dared to hope again. They find that they are not alone. Fathers and mothers are no longer afraid to hug their child. Their view has gone from burden to blessing. Men no longer hide behind the fear of being weak when they show emotion. They have realized it is okay to grieve and to cry and to feel the frustrated love of having a special needs child. They come alongside their wives and they help them while the whole community looks on. And forgiveness is now taking root where shame and anger used to live. New communities are being built on healthy relationships and they grow close like family. We've seen marriages become renewed and special needs children begin to do the impossible. They begin to try things such as eating on their own, holding a cup, and some of them even trying to speak. This is a result of the healing that Christ's love bring, brings. But their journey isn't easy. It isn't just happily ever after, after these camps. They continue to struggle, but they also continue to have hope where they didn't have it before. So, sport, uh, sport, uh, sorry, special needs ministry, it's great, but where does it fit into sports friend? We can't really hold any type of soccer clinics or volleyball clinics with special needs children. The great part is, is these special needs camps are not just for the special needs children and the parents. It is also a tool that we use for our coaches um, in the process of discipling them, walking with them through life. It helps them overcome cultural misconceptions that they have. But also, as they continue to go through the trauma healing training, they become key members in their communities, not just with the children that they're already coaching, but with families that have children that are different. And they can go places that we cannot go. For instance, we walk into some places and we already have one against us because we're white. Nobody will hear anything that we have to say. They're expecting handouts because we're white. I don't think I ever wish to be tan more in my life. <laughs> but these coaches can go places that we cannot and they can reach people that we cannot. So speaking of, whoops, I skipped a picture. <laughs> Speaking of building new families, um, Greg and I firmly believe that our entire family has been called to Kenya. Not just Greg, not just Greg and I, but our entire family. We take our children on ministry trips whenever possible, and it's a blessing to watch our missionary kids become kid missionaries. And Micah is going to share a story about this boy in the picture. Hi, everybody, and um, please play, pray for my friend Stephen. Um, he has been my friend for at least 12 years. I met him at the third, I mean, the second special needs camp. And um, he is deaf and mute, and everybody treats him like an animal, and I am one of his only friends, and again, please pray for him. Um, 
his parents gave him away to his grandparents when they found out that he was deaf and mute. And I also taught him how to dab, too. <laughs> He's been friends with Stephen for two years, not 12. <laughs> <laughs> but it does seem like forever. They, when they connected, it was amazing. Um, so as I close my part, we wanted to present First Alliance Church with a thank you gift from us for being our family, for being our home, for sending us, um, for backing us up in prayer. Uh, and supporting us and we could not thank you enough so we've brought two dancing Maasai uh, they're made from banana leaf and I will um, leave it with Pastor Jesse but he can put it somewhere where when you guys see us you'll remember that we dance for joy knowing that we have a family like you behind us and to pray for us every time you see it thank you Indeed, we are thankful for you, our family. Um, it is you who sends us. It is you who have the opportunity to partner with us and to pray with us. And we would invite you to, to do just that. So if you're not already engaged with us in some way, um, in the back, uh, we have a, a sign-up sheet for our newsletters. Um, we share these stories often in our newsletters. We want you to know what God is doing through us in our ministry on the field. Um, so please engage with us that way. Um, our kids should be in the back as well to hand out prayer cards as you go. Um, and again, we're, we're so grateful for you. Um, and so why do we go? We go because our Savior died on a cross. Jesus Christ died on the cross. Jesus Christ conquered that death. And Jesus said, go. Go to the young man who's been traced, chased out of his home in South Sudan and is now a refugee, sitting on the banks of a dry river under one of the few shade trees. And he's hopeless. He wants to go home, but he can't. And he's there and he's sad, but we're training a coach to go to that young man and to say to him, come join this family, this soccer team. Come be a part with us and let me tell you about the hope of Jesus Christ as we do that. We go to the young teenage girl in the slum who is struggling to get by. Her parents can't find work, they're hungry. It shows she's contemplating prostitution so that she can eat and help feed her family because she's desperate. We want to train a coach who's gonna go to her and say, you don't have to live that way. Come be a part of our soccer team, join our family, 
And let me tell you about the one who provides for all your needs. We go because there is a mama who has that special needs child. And as a baby, children are carried on the back. But once they begin to walk, they can walk. But for these special needs children, they're still on the backs of their moms, even when they're six and seven, and they are a burden to that mom. And she doesn't know what to do. And she knows that she can't be a part of her community. But for the first time in her life, she's able to take that child off of her back after she's gone through the trauma healing. And she looks at child in her, her, his eyes, and for the first time says, I love you. I'm sorry I saw you as a burden. You are a blessing. young people of Kenya have a desire for love and mercy and belonging and to know truth. It would be a tragedy for them to starve to death just outside the gates of the banquet hall to which we have been so warmly invited. Thank you for giving us the opportunity this morning to share with you and to celebrate with us God is working, and as our Kenyan team says, God is up to something big.